The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, in the name of Jesus Christ, to all of you. And if you're a visitor, a special, special welcome to you and a great thanks for honoring us with your presence today. Now, if you're tuning in on the live stream or the podcast, I also want to thank you for joining us. It is the second Sunday of the year, and so I hope you are still filled with joy and hope for the new year. I hope your resolutions are still alive, still in existence, and I hope you are excited to continue this morning our new study in the book of Acts, the Spirit-Powered Church. Ben kicked us off last week in Acts chapter 1 with the beginning, the introduction of the book and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and this morning we continue together in chapter 2. So settle in with me for verses 1 through 24, if you would. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law, but God raised him up having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we praise you this morning. We lift up your name. We proclaim you as the one who has redeemed us, who dwells in us and among us, the one through whom all things were created. We ask that you would recreate us this morning. Lord, we ask that your spirit would open up our eyes and ears to your truth. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The very first American number one hit that the Beatles scored was on February 1st, 1964. They'd been a band for several years at that point. They'd been touring extensively in England and in Germany. They were a bona fide rock and roll hit at that point, but they didn't really touch the American shores in such a way as they did until February 1st, when they topped the charts with, I wanna hold your hand. In many ways, that was the beginning, that was the day the revolution began. But, as some of you know, it was eight days later, on February 9th, 1964, when with 73 million people watching, two-fifths of the nation, the Beatles made their American television debut on The Ed Sullivan Show. I know some of you were around, you were just little kids, some of you were already full-grown adults, but we won't talk about that. My mom was alive, and she was watching with her brother, her older brother, whose life was truly changed, and he was totally mesmerized in that moment. Allegedly, my great-grandfather made fun of their hair and said they would amount to nothing. But it was a, a revolutionary moment. It, it, the Beatles, from that moment on, had settled in as Beatlemania, and they had touched America in a way that would change it forever. So, on February 1st, that's when the revolution began. But February 9th, that's when the revolution caught fire. We're in Pentecost this morning. Acts chapter 2. And so far, Luke has told us the story of Jesus in volume 1, his gospel. We've seen his birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and now his ascension. And if we were to pinpoint when the revolution began, I think we would say that it was the cross and the resurrection, that Christ event, that center of human history, the cross and the resurrection. That's when the revolution began, but Pentecost is when the revolution caught fire. 
Pentecost is when the revolution caught fire. And Luke tells us that on this Pentecost, that they were all together, these disciples and followers of Jesus in one place. And now, if you don't know or you don't remember, Pentecost was before it was a Christian holiday or holy day, it was a Hebrew holiday. It was an Israelite holiday, in fact. It wasn't founded in Acts 2, although it changed and became a different kind of Pentecost. But it's actually spoken about in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and what it was called typically was the Feast of Weeks, or the Festival of Weeks. And it was an agricultural kind of holiday for them, sort of akin to our Thanksgiving. It was a harvest festival when they brought forth the first fruits of the harvest to God in a prayer of thanks and in a prayer of hope that the rest of the harvest would be just as bountiful. But over the years, from about 300 B.C. to 100 B.C., the Feast of Weeks started to kind of lose its association with agriculture, and it became more about preserving the Hebrew religious tradition. Specifically, as Pentecost, that word Pentecost, by the way, just means 50th, because Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. If you don't remember Passover, that was when they slaughtered the lambs, put the blood above the doorposts, and the avenging angel passed by them, and Moses led them out of Egypt into freedom. And so it was approximately 50 days after that that the Israelites came to Sinai. And it was at Sinai, as many of you know, that they received the gift of the law from God. They received the gift of a new identity, of being constituted as a new people of God. And so I hope you pick up this morning on similar themes in our passage. We shouldn't be surprised to find these themes of God's gift being given of God constituting a new people, of God giving people a new identity on this Pentecost. And so Luke tells us in verse two, he says that suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So you might remember how Luke opens volume one, how he opens his gospel with Jesus' birth, right? So the angel comes to Mary and says, you're gonna be with child, and Mary says, how can that be? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. And then Luke opens volume two, Acts, not with the birth of Jesus powered by the Spirit, but the birth of the church powered by the Spirit. Luke opens with the Spirit-powered birth of Christ, and Acts opens with the Spirit-powered birth of the church. 
And we see the Spirit show up here dramatically in a decisive new way, a unique way. That it comes in with this, this rush of violent wind, this sound that is so loud that the crowds that are in Jerusalem for Pentecost gather around this place. And then we get this image, these tongues of fire, tongues as of fire resting upon each of them as they're able to speak this new language, all of these different foreign tongues. It's an iconic image. And I think sometimes when we think about the Spirit coming at Pentecost, we almost imagine that the Spirit was born on Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit somehow originated on that day. But really, the Spirit has always been. God has always been triune. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect self-giving love and communion. And the Spirit of God is on every single page of Scripture. The Spirit of God is right there from the very first couple sentences. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So in Genesis, we have this wind, this spirit of creation. And in Acts chapter two, we get this wind, this spirit of new creation. That just as God called Israel out of creation, God is now calling the church out of new creation. And he is constituting a people with a new spirit-filled identity in a unique way to speak and spread his good news to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And that's what we find Right? There are Jews from all over the world here gathered and living in Jerusalem ready to celebrate Pentecost. And, and they come and they hear this sound and they hear these disciples speaking in their own native languages. These people from Mesopotamia and Cappadocia, Arabia, Egypt, Asia, Libya, and Rome, all hearing in their own language. And they say in verse 11, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. So I think one thing that we can draw out of this new church, this new people of God that is being founded, is that the Spirit powers their speech. The Spirit of God powers Christian speech. There is simply no way that these people could have spoken these foreign tongues on their own in the way they did. But not only that, not only is there this miraculous power of speaking foreign tongues, but there is a miraculous power to witness effectively to Jesus Christ. That true Christian speech, true Christian witness to God and proclamation is impossible without the Holy Spirit. 
A proclamation of the word of God to be affected must be powered by the spirit of God. It is the spirit at work in these Christians, powering them to proclaim the good news. There's a pretty famous quote that's sometimes misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You might have heard it. It goes something like, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. When I first heard that, I really liked it. I still really like that sentiment, because I think for any of us who've encountered Christians, and we've all been guilty of this, but who've encountered Christians that, to use a cliche, talk the talk but don't walk the walk, Christians who pay lip service to Jesus without living a life that reflects his actions. That's a powerful sentiment to say, no, the gospel is actually powerfully embodied, not just in speech, but when we act it out. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I still really like that sentiment. But I also want to push back on it just a bit. Because I think sometimes we use that sentiment in order to get around the thorniness of actually talking about Jesus. I think sometimes people like me, I, I admit I'm guilty of this, we want, it's easier for us to just do an act of service, right? Do an act of kindness, an act of Christian charity. Who's going to object to that? rather than actually speaking about the foundation of that Christian charity, rather than actually having to tell someone the gospel story, actually proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right, for some of us, I think it's easier for us to just do this action of love rather than speak about the foundation of that love. Right, but the gospel is not just doing things. The gospel is not just good things. The gospel is good news. The gospel does require speech and proclamation about Jesus Christ, and that is done in our actions, absolutely. But we can't use that as a way to just shirk our duty our obligation to speak about the one who has saved us and transformed us into those people who act in new ways. So my message to you would be, preach the gospel at all times, use words, and put those words into practice. Christianity has suffered at the hands of Christians who spoke a lot about Jesus without living a life that reflected him. So preach the gospel with word and deed. And it is the spirit that powers both of those things. And we see this further necessity for Christian speech, for words, for proclamation with Peter's response. So verse 13, but others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea 
and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Peter is saying, I know it looks like it's five o'clock somewhere, but it's nine o'clock. They're not drunk. Isn't it amazing that Peter has essentially just begun the very first Christian sermon. And the first line of the very first Christian sermon is, these Jesus followers aren't plastered. <laughs> it's nine in the morning. And I won't quote all of Peter's first sermon at length because I feel like a sermon within a sermon is a recipe for disaster. But I will quote to you this. In verse 16, Peter says, No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And in verse 21, he says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a photo of a microphone that our church uses. If you've ever wanted to know how we capture and amplify and power our electric guitar, this is the microphone that we use. It's sitting right back in our amp closet right now. And it's called a Shure SM57. Some of you have maybe seen them or used them. It's actually a really common microphone. It's not very expensive. It's accessible pretty much to all. But it's a great little microphone. And it, as simple as it is, it has a storied history. It's actually the microphone that since its founding or creation in 1965, it's been used by every president of the United States in the White House since LBJ. But more than that, this is a microphone that has been used by countless legendary artists, on countless legendary songs, recordings, and albums. U2, Led Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, Bon Iver, Sufjan Stevens, Bruce Springsteen, all of these and countless others have used this very same microphone to capture and amplify and power their art, their songs, their voices. And when I think of the church, when I think about the countless legends and saints and martyrs and voices that have spoken since Pentecost to today, each and every one of those voices has been powered and enabled and amplified by the very same Spirit. The spirit of Pentecost that enabled Peter to preach, enabled Paul and Augustine and Aquinas and Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa and Shane Claiborne and Lisa Buck and Rachel Richardson and every single Christian witnessing effectively to Jesus Christ in word and deed, has done so by the same spirit of Pentecost. The very same spirit 
that hovered over the waters of creation, that spoke through Isaiah, that descended upon Jesus at baptism, that dwelt among the apostles, is the same spirit in each one of us. It's the same spirit that Peter offers in his sermon. And if this church is going to be reignited, is going to catch that fresh wind and fresh fire of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be when we put our ears to that spirit of Jesus Christ. We let it speak again afresh to us. We let it speak scripture to us in all of its complexity. When we let it empower not just word, but deed. Not just deeds, but words. Proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the very same spirit that lives in us. That powerful spirit of Pentecost. N.T. Wright says that trying to talk about Pentecost trying to reduce it to a theological or historical insight is like trying to reduce a hurricane to a meteorologist's chart. He says, it's important that someone somewhere is tracking the hurricane and telling us what it's doing, but when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that you're out there in the wind letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech, and transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. I can do nothing greater this morning in my sermon than to offer exactly what Peter offered in the very first Christian sermon. And that is an invitation to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. An invitation to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And receive that Holy Spirit. Receive that Pentecost spirit of fire and wind. Justice, mercy, and love. Spirit of Jesus. I pray that you would, and I invite you to as we stand and praise him together.